Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvotisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Good morning. Shabbat Shalom. I've never said that before. This is kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, as David said, my name is Dan Murata. I'm the pastor and church planter of Redeemer Anglican Church. It got started back in November of 2016. We just passed our one-year anniversary, and so we are brand new, and we are kind of fumbling and stumbling our way along, figuring out what it means to be followers of Yeshua here in the city of Richmond, and it has been a tremendous blessing to be here in your space on Sunday mornings. You know, one of the hardest parts about planting a new congregation of any kind is finding the right space. And, uh, and so the Lord's provision in Tikvot Israel has been a constant uh, weekly and daily source of encouragement for our people. So thank you. Whether you knew you were a part of that or not, uh, thank you. It means a lot to us. Uh, I'm going to take us to the New Testament book of Ephesians. And before I read this, there's a few things that I I want you to know. Uh, Theologians have called Ephesians the queen of the epistles. Uh, There were some uh, pastors and writers about 500 years ago that found this to be their favorite letter in all of Scripture. Uh, An author named Eugene Peterson said that this changed his life. Another author calls the book of Ephesians, Doctrine Set to Music. It's Truth That Sings. It's the most mature, well-developed, and yet concise theology of the gospel to be found anywhere in Scripture. And so, if you are willing, listen to these words. We're in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. Excuse me, 3 through 14. You know, it might be good for me to read this from the screen, because I would imagine that my translation is probably just a little bit different from yours. So listen. Praise be to Adonai, Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, who in the Messiah has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heaven. In the Messiah, he chose us in love before the creation of the universe to be holy and without defect in his presence. He determined in advance that through Yeshua the Messiah, we would be his sons in keeping with his pleasure and purpose so that we would bring him praise commensurate with the glory of the grace he gave us through the beloved one. In union with him, through the shedding of his blood, we are set free. Our sins are forgiven, and this accords with the wealth of the grace he has lavished on us. In all his wisdom and insight, he has made known to us his secret plan, which by his own will he designed beforehand in connection with the Messiah and will put into effect when the time is ripe. His plan to place everything in heaven and on earth under the Messiah's headship. And we're going to stop there. So these words were written by the Apostle Paul. In our tradition, we would call him St. Paul. 
He was a Pharisee who persecuted and, in fact, even executed followers of Yeshua Yeshua, until he came literally face-to-face with the risen Yeshua, after which he became the most active missionary and prolific theologian of the gospel the world has ever known. And this letter, it's be good for you to know, this letter is unique amongst all the writings of Paul. Every other letter that the Apostle Paul wrote was written to address a specific situation or controversy within a congregation. But this letter to the Ephesians is different. It is not written to correct bad behavior or to bolster up discouraged people. Rather, it's written to set forth a vision for God's people as a resurrection society. The letter to the Ephesians is not describing the ideal community. And so we're not going to read this and then ask, now, how can we make Tikvat Israel look like this? That's not the question. Rather, Ephesians gives us the eyes to see the beauty and the wonder and the majesty of what God has done for us in Yeshua, and therefore, it will serve as the good soil from which we can grow up into maturity. Do you see the important difference here? Ephesians is not the ideal congregation for us to copy. It is the good soil, gospel soil, from which the people of God grow. It's not the ideal tree. It's the dirt you need for the tree to grow. Last summer, our family, which is me and my wife, Rachel, who is my high school sweetheart, and our three children, with a fourth on the way, um, we planted a vegetable garden in our backyard. And I took the kids with me to Lowe's, and we bought the lumber that we, need. we needed to build a raised bed, and we uh, got the seeds for planting and the metal stakes and the twine on which the plants could grow. And together, we sawed the wooden planks, and we built the raised bed, and we dug up the dirt, and we made it nice and soft, and we planted seeds, carrots and okra and corn and squash and tomatoes and Brussels sprouts, and we watered them, and then together, we waited for them to grow. Weeks and months passed. The carrots did not grow. <clears throat> Brussels sprouts did not grow. Corn grew, but for some reason didn't taste good, so that doesn't count. Okra produced three okra pods. It's pathetic. I'm never planting okra again. The squash and beans did not not grow, but the tomatoes rocketed right up. As uh, the younger of my two daughters said, the tomatoes went bananas. Our, Our two tomato plants, just two tomato plants, produced over 200 beautiful, juicy, delicious tomatoes, and we ate tomatoes all summer long and into the fall, and, and you might be wondering right now, am I an expert tomato farmer? No. Did I plant the seeds just right? No. Did I have the best tools and the best supplies? Definitely not. No, it was all in the soil. And it's not even as if I had a part in cultivating that soil. We are new to the neighborhood. We've lived in Richmond all of 18 months. And so we were unexpectedly blessed with a backyard that was just right for growing tomatoes. Now, together, you and I, we are planting our congregations with the Lord. And we want Tikvot Israel to grow and to thrive and to flourish and to bear good fruit for the glory of God and for the good of our city. And the good news is that you and I, we, are blessed with good soil in which to grow. We are blessed with the gospel. And these first 14 verses of Ephesians show us the blessing of the gospel. And it's threefold. We are blessed to be chosen by the Father. Blessed to be redeemed by the Son, and blessed to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, 
the thing about blessings is that blessings can be either received or rejected, right? You can hold fast to a blessing or you can lose sight of it. And this has always been the case from the first days until now. Think about this with me. In Genesis 1, God blesses the first people and gives them stewardship over the world, but they quickly lose sight of the blessing and they grasp for more. In Genesis 2, God blesses the seventh day of creation and sets it apart as a day of rest. And that was to be a blessing to humanity, but we quickly lost sight of its goodness and beauty, and we, now we wish to labor every day of the week. And then in Genesis 12, God calls Abram, and he blesses him, and he sends him out with the promise of future blessing. But Abram often lost sight of this blessing, and rather than trust in the Lord's blessing, he sought to create his own future. Think about King David. Blessed to rule during the golden age of Israel, but despite his abundance, he lusts for more, often losing sight of God's blessing. Think about Solomon, David's son, who was blessed with the wealth and resources beyond what nearly every other human being has ever experienced and yet failed to see the Lord's blessing in it, and he hungered for more. Think about the story of the people of Israel throughout the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, continually caught in the washing machine cycle of being blessed by God losing sight of the blessing, falling into sin, repenting, receiving anew God's blessing, only to lose sight of it all over again. The story of God and humanity is, in many ways, the story of a God who continually seeks to bless his people, and people who, at times, are able to receive his blessing, but often fail to hold on to it. And the frightening reality is that all of these people that we just talked about They believed, to a certain extent, probably even more than we do, all of the right and true things about God. And if they lived today, and if they were followers of Yeshua, they would believe great doctrine. They would believe the true things. And you know why that's frightening? Because it shows that you can believe true things and still miss the blessing. And this is true of the gospel as well. It is entirely possible to believe that the gospel of Yeshua is true and yet lose sight of its beauty and so miss the blessing. And so today we want to focus on the blessing of the gospel. And as we said, the blessing of the gospel proclaimed triumphantly by Paul in Ephesians 1 is the blessing of being chosen by the Father, the blessing of being redeemed by the Son, and the blessing of being sealed by the Spirit. Now, after Paul begins his letter... as he normally does, by identifying himself and his audience and greeting them with grace and peace, he then explodes with a volcanic blast of 212 words. And in the original Greek, these words, uh, verses 3 through 14, they form one sentence. Really bad grammar. It reminds me of an experience I had just a, a few weeks ago. I found myself in the movie theater just a few blocks north of here up on Boulevard, and I was comfortably settled into my cushy chair. I had a, a beer in the cup holder. Hopefully it doesn't scandalize anybody. My feet were making that nice movie theater sticky sound on the floor, and the previews had just finished running. The screen goes dark, and then all of a sudden, the screen is lit up in giant yellow letters. You know what movie I'm at. Star Wars, and the trumpets and the cymbals and the drums crash, and then what happens? That iconic text starts scrolling up the screen into space, right? Do you know why Star Wars films begin this way? Because not only does it demand your attention and 
um, you know, let you know, let you know exactly what kind of movie you're in, but it also gives you the backstory, right? It frames the conversation. It brings the viewer up to speed, and it tells you exactly what you need to know. If you mix, if you miss that text scrolling up the screen, the next scene of the movie is not going to make any sense to you. And that's a bit of what Paul is doing here. He's launching his letter with a bit with dramatic a dramatic barrage of imagery that brings us the readers and listeners up to speed it frames the conversation and it orients us to his letter and in this single amazing sentence there are three parts each section is focused on the work of one member of the godhead and each section concludes with a variation of the phrase to the praise of his glory and so if you, after uh, the service today, go home, and if you choose to look at Ephesians chapter 1 on your own time, you'll see this. You'll see that verses 3 through 6 emphasize the blessing of being chosen by the Father. And verses 7 through 12 emphasize the blessing of being redeemed by the Son. And then verses 13 and 14 conclude with the blessing of being sealed by the Spirit. So let's dive into this. Let's start with the blessing of being chosen by the Father. The first blessing comes to us. From before creation itself. In the timeless void before God created the cosmos, there was only God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and their counsel within the unity of the Godhead. In God's omniscience, he knew, he not only knew the people that he would bring into existence, but he chose us in Yeshua. Meaning that before the world was created, God was putting you and Yeshua together choosing you and destining you for adoption as his child. Now, some of you might have some questions or some curiosity about the word chosen and how exactly that works. What does it mean that we are chosen according to the purposes of God? It means that God, prior to our creation, has destined us for the blessing of adoption and inheritance. And There's a way that, I'm sure not you, but other people less sophisticated than you, uh, tie themselves into knots over wrestling with this concept. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to make sense of the spiritual reality of being chosen with the existential reality of free will. Mary mentioned this and alluded to this just a few minutes ago. We know from Scripture that God chooses us and destines us for adoption. And you get some folks that, that talk about this with a kind of arrogance and pride, like this sense of being chosen answers every question in the universe. And then you get other people who find this idea deeply offensive, and they reject it out of hand. And both sides are completely missing the point that Paul is getting at here, which is that it is a blessing that God has chosen you. Paul is not trying to lay out a comprehensive schematic for how God's sovereignty and our free will coexist. No, the emphasis here is on the blessing, the incredible blessing that God the Father, for no other reason than love, has chosen you. You know, it's, it's a powerful thing to be chosen. It's a devastating thing to not be chosen. And many of us have stood on a court or on a field and as teams were being picked, hoping that we would be chosen and nervously waiting to see if we'd get picked. Some of you remember standing up against the wall in a decorated gym, wondering if someone would pick you to dance with them. Dear brothers and sisters, if you want to know God the Father, 
then know him as the one who chose you. In love, he picked you. He thought, I want you. I want to adopt you. I want you to come and to live with me in my house. I want to be your father. I want you to be my child. I want us to be together always. I want everything I have to belong to you. And I hope you see the blessing here. Because if you merely believe that this is true, then it, it may end up making you arrogant. I was chosen. It may end up making you apathetic. I don't need to obey. I was chosen. It's a done deal. And friends, these are not the attitudes of someone who has received a blessing. If you see the blessing of being chosen by the Father, it will make you humble. I didn't earn this. It will make you eager to obey. More than anything, if you see the blessing of being chosen by the Father, it will cause you to worship him in love. But you know, that's not all. Paul goes on. He's not done. He's going to show us how God the Father is going to bring us into his family. So let's turn now to the blessing of being redeemed by the Son. I want to draw your attention to just one wonderful word in this section. And it's on the screen, the page right in front of this. There we go. The word is lavished. Because, and I want to draw your attention to this because in this word lies the difference, the distinction between merely believing that it is true that Yeshua offers you redemption and and the difference between that and marveling at the blessing of his redeeming work for you. So lavish is such a great word. It's generous. It's abundant. It's superfluous. It's over the top. It's too much. It's excessive. And when Paul writes that we have redemption through the blood of Yeshua, which grants us forgiveness because his grace is so rich that he lavishes it over us, we are struck that God's grace to us may be bigger and deeper, and wider, and richer than we thought. My, uh, my sister-in-law is a baker. It's a good thing, good kind of person to have as a sister-in-law. She used to work at Pearl's Cupcake Shop over in the West End, and she was charged with making dessert for a recent Murata family birthday dinner. We know how to delegate. Um, and she baked a three-layer red velvet cake with cream cheese frosting, and she lavished the frosting all over that glorious creation. It was excessive. It was amazing. God's grace to you in Yeshua is not sparse. His grace is so much greater than your sin. His grace does not, in fact, perfectly counterbalance your sin. It exceeds it. It goes beyond it. There's no comparison to be made. And this is so important for you and I to know because we have been taught implicitly and perhaps even explicitly throughout our lives to think of life in terms of scarcity. Think with me about this. You and I are taught from the youngest of ages that there just isn't enough of anything to go around. There isn't enough money to do all the things we want to do. There aren't enough good jobs for those who want to work. There aren't enough eligible singles for those of us who are lonely. There isn't enough food to feed the hungry. And we take this for granted. It's a part of our cultural psyche. Scarcity is normal. And our secular culture has an answer for that. They do. And the start, with the start of a new year, no doubt you're hearing something about this answer. And maybe some of us are even participating in it. It is called counting your blessings. Maybe making a gratitude list. Uh, the magazine The Atlantic ran an article last week, or two weeks ago rather, called, Does Counting Your Blessings Work? 
And by work, they meant, does it make you a happier, more satisfied person? And the answer they found was, surprisingly enough, not necessarily. And even though all of the TV personalities and celebrities and experts endorse the practice of counting your blessings, the journalists at The Atlantic found that, for the most part, making lists of all the good things you have doesn't necessarily change you for the better. And the article concludes with, ironically, no explanation at all. It just ends. And when I got to the end of it, I thought, well, the answer is obvious, isn't it? In a culture of scarcity, when there's not enough of anything to go around, why would making a list of the things you've managed to get enough of make much of a difference? You still live in a world of scarcity, and you can lose every item on that list. And so, friends, as a new year begins, and some of us are making lists of resolutions and others of us are making gratitude lists, I want to offer you something that will turn all of this on its head, which is that you are not living in a world of scarcity. God's grace to you in the redeeming blood of Yeshua is excessively abundant. There's too much of it. There's extra. There's grace you haven't even used yet. And so make your lists if you like. But if you stop there, you are thinking way too small. Don't miss the glory. Don't miss the blessing of God's grace to you in the redeeming blood of Yeshua. Now, see, I, see, I, I appreciate this because in my congregation, nobody talks to me. Thank you. I like having a conversation here. So let's summarize where we've been so far. We are blessed to be chosen by the Father, and we are blessed to be redeemed by the Son and the riches of God's grace, which are lavished on you. Now, third and finally, you are blessed to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, we tend to use the word sealed only when we're talking about physical objects. We say that jar is sealed, or, uh, you know, her file is sealed, or she sealed the deal. If something is sealed, it's closed, it's locked up, it can't be tampered with anymore. And this morning, I want you to take that physical imagery of sealing and realize that this is what the Holy Spirit does with someone who is chosen by the Father and redeemed by the Son. The presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you becomes God's mark upon you identifying you as belonging to him. And so as the new year begins, this is so important for us to remember because it communicates to us that the Father choosing you and the Son redeeming you cannot be undone. And so the gospel work that is already set in motion in your life will, in fact, be carried through to completion. And that's why Paul concludes this opening salvo by speaking of the sealing of the Spirit as the guarantee of our inheritance. You know, you and I don't get very many guarantees in this life. Our friendships are not guaranteed to last. Our families are not guaranteed to stay together. Our jobs are not guaranteed to be rewarding. Our health is not guaranteed to continue. And your mind is not guaranteed to, keep, to continue to work. Your memory may not even keep remembering. And so when everything else falls away, if someday you are left utterly alone, devoid of all of these things, devoid of everything, even your memories, even your memory of these blessings, you will still be sealed by the Holy Spirit, and it is guaranteed that the good work of the gospel will come to fruition in your life. The blessing of being sealed by the Spirit is essential because it locks in the first two blessings. 
You won't ever be unchosen. You can't ever be unredeemed. Okay, let's summarize before we conclude. We've jumped into Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, which gives us the good gospel soil that we need for us to grow up into a resurrection society. Chapters 1, 1 through 14, is this opening trumpet blast, which sets the tone for the rest of the letter. That's good for you to know if you ever go home and read it. We are blessed to be chosen by the Father. We're blessed to be redeemed by the Son. And we're blessed to be sealed by the Spirit. And I want to conclude by asking you just two very simple questions that will help us grow into the kind of resurrection society right here. And the first is an inward question. The second is an outward question. The first is, have you lost sight of the blessing of the gospel? Is this empty of passion and emotion for you? Do you think of these things primarily as true things to be believed? Or is it a real blessing that has been poured out into your open hands? If so, then let's begin this new year afresh by reclaiming a vision for our blessings, seeing the blessings of the gospel afresh. That's the inward question. The second is an outward question, which is, And it actually is related to the first because one of the best ways to to do this, to know if we have missed the blessing, is to ask, who do we know that needs the blessing of the gospel? And I'm phrasing it this way on purpose because I'm convinced that one of the reasons you and I are so often intimidated and reticent to share the gospel with our neighbors and our coworkers is because we have been taught implicitly to treat this like a doctrine or a truth of which we need to convince other people to believe rather than a blessing that we might share. So who do you know that most needs to be, hang with me through this language, who do you know that most needs to be chosen by the Father? Who do you know that would be surprised and overwhelmed by the lavish grace of being redeemed by the Son? And who do you know that would find comfort and security in being sealed by the Spirit? And if you're beginning to think in your mind right now, you know, Dan, I, I can't guarantee those things for somebody else. I mean, how do I know if they will be chosen by the Father? How do I know that the Spirit will seal them? These aren't things that I can promise to anybody. Then now we're getting somewhere because we don't have control over these things, do we? The choosing and redeeming and the sealing all lie in the hands of God, not our hands. And so when we extend the gospel to our neighbors, we aren't offering our beliefs to them, but rather we're exploring their readiness to receive a blessing from God. The blessing of the gospel is stunning when we behold it for what it truly is. And so I want to close with a prayer that we would receive that blessing today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you this morning. Lord, as, as Jews and as Gentiles. Lord, as, as people who together are in need of your grace. If we were not chosen by you, we'd be without hope. Yeshua, if we were not redeemed by you, we would, we would be without grace. And, and Spirit, if we were not sealed by you, we would live in constant fear of losing the blessing. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning you would work in our hearts and our minds to have a vision for your blessing anew, that we would receive it, that, yes, we would believe all of the good and true and right things, 
but beyond belief, we would, we would see and experience and receive the blessing that you have for us. We pray all of this in your name alone. Amen. Amen.